The following podcast is part of the Underdog Sports Podcast Network. For advertising information or to find more great podcasts, visit us at www.theunderdogsports.com and follow us on Twitter at RealTheUnderdog. You're listening to the Underdog Sports NBA Show. Cross green, cross. With host Tyler Laurie and Zandrick Ellison. <laughs> Brought to you by Underdog Sports. Tune in every week as Tyler and Zan recap the biggest storylines and news in the NBA. Welcome to episode 112 of the Underdog Sports NBA show. I am Tyler Laurie and I am joined as always by my co-host, Zandrick Ellison. Zan, we recorded like 72 hours ago and so, so much has happened. Yeah, can you imagine? Recorded. We're doing t- two days a week with the playoffs, but can you imagine if we only did once a week? It's, it's too much. I don't even know. I just I don't I don't even know where to start. Honestly, like we've had four pretty awesome game, four out of five pretty awesome games back to back with like great endings, some crappy endings due to refereeing, some sloppy games that had good endings. The Clippers just beat the pants off the Nuggets in game one, which is a scary sight, I think, if the Clippers are going to get right. And then we had like just an epic news dump by Mark Stein <laughs> on, uh, I think, Wednesday morning, right? Like, or Thursday morning, just the, the in the middle of like this crazy playoffs, back-to-back game sevens, all of a sudden Mark Stein, just Steve Nash, head coach of the Brooklyn Nets. What did you think of that? I was stunned. It was probably the most shocking. I mean, look, I, I like I like following coaching. You do too. If I would, you give me a list, fifty picks that'll the most likely hires. I would not have put Steve Nash on there. I mean, um, think about think about this, Zan. Bovada Sportsbook does like an amazing job of handicapping stuff like this. There, there was nowhere you would have found Steve Nash's name to be a head coach. Nowhere. Like I, I don't even know. It's so outwardly insane to me that he got hired that I just like don't even know how to expect to explain it. And then like, because it's Kevin Durant in the Nets, it's like even more. It's important because it, it's like not be nonsensical. You know what I mean? Like it, it, it's just like, it's, it's an important thing. And you know, obviously the playoffs may be more important, but Brooklyn, if they're healthy, they're going to be in round two next year. They're going to maybe be farther than that. Um, or further than that. And also, like, let's just dismiss. We won't spend a lot of time on the whole, like, white privilege thing. I think that's a ridiculous take because we've seen this before, you know, with Derek Fisher, with Jason Kidd. And it's really just people trying to mirror Steve Kerr. Like, that worked out so well. Let's try to find the next Steve Kerr. Um, And Steve Nash has some connection. He was with the Warriors organization even. So, you know, maybe he's the next Steve Kerr. I don't know how you have any evidence of that. I don't know how you can have optimism in that. Um. I'm really down on the hire. I, you know, it's, and it's weird because I really like Steve Nash as a person. Yeah, yeah. But I just don't understand it. I think it's just so very, like, short-sighted. I mean, like, can I give you some reasons why? Like, Of course. Kevin Durant's, you know, it's... <laughs> I think he, when he was healthy, the best player in the NBA. Um, but, hey, he's coming off a major injury. They have him under contract for two years. You know, so he missed the first year, two years, then he has a player option. So you have this guy for two years and you basically just handed him the franchise. Like you let him pick a coach because he likes the guy. He had a few good conversations with him in Golden State. Yeah. And that was, if you recall, that was the first thing I said to you when we talked about this was that I know Nash and Durant had a very good relationship in Golden State, which, but he was only there for like, 
was he even there a year? It was one year, right? He was a consultant, whatever. For like that sixteen, means. the sixteen seventeen team, I think. And then also like Kevin Durant said, like, oh, he really helped my game. Like, first of all, Kevin Durant was a great player. He's still a great player. And top ten player in NBA history, like probably before. <laughs> and your new coach, if your new coach's game plan is to make Kevin Durant a better player, and that's the key to victory, like that's not what you need. Like somehow you need the supporting cast to you know everything else to fit together around him and hope yeah. he's healthy. And and one thing we should say is they they did keep Jacques Vaughn and made him. I'm yes. assuming his title is associate head coach, and now he's the highest paid assistant in the NBA. Which good good for Jacques Vaughn. He he may be better served as an assistant than a head coach. It may be better for the Nets to do this because one of the things that I think Steve Nash is going to need help with is, you know, like. Coaching? No, honestly, I trust the guy's basketball IQ. And I I said to you before, I think like one of the things with Steve Nash that everyone talks about is his emotional intelligence is off the charts. Like the way that he deals with different personalities, the way he managed the team as a point guard, both on and off the floor was apparently like his best quality, which, you know. Like a a diplomat in the Steve curse. Correct. However, you, you do at some point have to come down on guys, right? Like you have to be hard on them. And so maybe Jacqueline is a little bit better in terms of like the disciplinarian. And also he'll probably be slightly better in terms of running the defense, which I think is probably a good decision. I just don't understand why we try to force guys to be head coaches that maybe just aren't ready in their career. I have two issues with this. First off, we see all this stuff about like how Steve Nash was like resistant to being a head coach, right? Why would you want to hire a guy who doesn't know if he wants to do this? The time commitment and the day to day commitment is at, off the charts. Like you're, you, you're just constantly working. Like you're never really relaxed. I understand it's a good life. Like maybe Greg Popovich doesn't work as hard as he used to because like the guy knows exactly what he's doing now, but your first year as a head coach, you have so much more to do than just basketball too. Like it's, I don't well, get that. I don't. I think if you're an optimist, you'd say, Look, it worked for, let's say, Larry Bird in Indiana. And, you know, sort of like as the, not a figurehead so much, but like a, you know, uh, a CEO type, whatever. He was a pretty and, good, he was a pretty good coach on those like late nineties teams, if I remember yeah, correctly. He, he was a good coach, but from what I heard, like his assistant was like Rick Carlisle at the time yeah. who, who did a lot. Right, um, right. And so maybe Jock Vaughn's the Rick Carlisle of the situation and, and Steve Nash is there to manage egos and, um, and Steve Kerr, as good of a coach as he is, he, he always surrounded himself with good assistants as well. Yeah, so correct. maybe like Ron Adams ran their defense right away from the jump. And that, that was probably what made the Warriors actually better than everyone thought was that they were so good defensively. But I, I agree. Like my biggest fear with this is what you mentioned. Like, let me take a step back. So on Bill Simmons's podcast, um, he made a point. He, he had interviewed Royce White. Do you remember Royce White? the Houston yeah, draft I, pick from Iowa state, I guess. And yep. he was the guy with anxiety, couldn't fly. And he got into a big fight with Houston about. Yeah. He bought himself like an RV. Actually Royce was with the Sixers for a little while while I was working with him. Okay. And so Bill, he was on Bill Simmons's podcast talking about the drama and Bill Simmons asked him, does it drive you crazy? They can't play basketball right now. Cause he, you know, he wasn't playing with the organization and Royce said, you know, I, I haven't really played in a while. I haven't picked up a ball in a few weeks or a few months. And then later in hindsight, Bill Simmons said like, that was the moment he realized like, I'm not betting on this kid. Cause for whatever reason, he's not playing basketball. He doesn't seem to really have a burning desire to play basketball, whatever, whether that's right or wrong, that was the logic. And I kind of understand it. Flash forward, maybe, you know, a year later, Steve Nash is on the Bill Simmons podcast and he's talking about his new endeavor, which I think he was a soccer commentator or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. And he was asking about basketball, you know, as you might be inclined to do when Steve Nash is on your podcast. And Steve Nash 
I don't want to misquote him, but it was something in the vein of, I don't really watch a lot. Um, I'm focused on soccer. You know, he had some ideas for that. And to me, I'm like, I don't know if this guy really wants to like, you know, he retired five years ago, six years ago. How connected is he to the game now? How connected is he to the players? Does he know Karis Levert's game? Is he going to go figure it out? You know, or does he just think that he, because he was a great player 10 years ago, that it's just going to naturally translate. And, you know, I heard him, he was on like all the smoke talking about his time in Phoenix and working with the Warriors and talking about spending time with his kids and stuff. And maybe he really truly did like get the itch to do it, but it is very hard to do this job, both as a player and a coach, if you're not a hundred percent invested. And I joke all the time about how like guys are distracted and like, you're still able to do it. Like, you know, like LeBron has his hands in everything and KD has a million investments and they're still great basketball players, but coaching, like you just have to have your, your hand or your, you have to have like you have to be on like the pulse of everything, right? Like you just have to know what's going on because the second you don't, you know, you lose. And it's just, it's, it's tough to me to buy Steve Nash as a high enough energy guy to be great right yeah. away. I will say this though, you are down on the hire. Like you do not think it's going to work. I No, no, I, I disagree with that because that's what's so frustrating because it's like I could bash the hire, bash the hire. And I think it's going to work. The Nets might win the title next year because I think yeah. they have a really good roster. This is a veteran team that, like, yeah, you need to change their style a tiny bit. But, like, this is a team that, like, if everybody stays healthy, and that's a big if. Like, we don't know what Kevin Durant's going to look like. I would assume even 80% of old Kevin Durant is probably one of the 10 best players in the league, if not better than that. So, like, I would assume this team's going to be really good regardless. So Yeah. Like, and they say they hired Ty Lu. Would their prospects be that different? Probably not. Probably not. Maybe not. Yeah, exactly. And I think Ty is a good coach. What I will say about this, and this will be the last thing that I say about this, because we do need to talk about actual playoff basketball, which has been absurd of the last 72 hours. This is not the way the industry is supposed to work, right? I don't, I don't care about the racial aspect of it. That's clearly, to me, it's just the fact that Steve Nash is a Hall of Fame point guard, one of the best 10 point guards of all time, best five point guards of all time, whatever you want to say. But, like, we've seen Derek Fisher get jobs. Doc Rivers gets jobs. Like, Mark Jackson had jobs. Like, these guys, they had no coaching experience, right? They, they just got the job. And I think that, like, it's disheartening for guys who are, like, lifers, even if they're, they were okay players or good players. Like, they're lifers. And then all of a sudden, the guy like Steve Nash, even if I'm Jacques Vaughn, like, it's a hard right. sell to who me. Who is like, a I've player? Been, I've been a head coach before. I played in the NBA. Like, I've grinded this out as an assistant. Like, I've done the dirty work to get to, like, where I'm supposed to be. But, like, you know, just to use an example of like literally every single assistant coach in the NBA who got passed up for this job and interviewed for it. And then all of a sudden you see Steve Nash and you see that like he'd been hesitant to coach and like they really wanted him. Like it's very disappointing, I think, to see a guy with zero coaching experience get this high profile of a job. Because then I think we would agree that this was the this was the job that everybody wanted, I would assume. Like if you could line up all the coaching candidates and say, All right, you get paid four years. $15 million, but you can pick any of the open jobs. Does anybody pick anything other than Brooklyn? Maybe you don't want to deal with KD and Kyrie, but like if you yeah, want to win a title, difficult personalities, but what's harder, what's more difficult coaching Kevin Durant or coaching Kevin Knox. You that's, know? I mean, and so to me, it's like, it, it's just disappointing to see this happen. And I would say that like the Nets from the start had zeroed in on Steve Nash. Cause like, it doesn't, this, this doesn't just like come out of nowhere, right? Like guys are constantly working. My assumption is Kevin Durant had a conversation with him. I don't know if you know the guy, Amin El-Hassan, who he worked yes. for the Suns and now he's on ESPN, but he had like tweeted a screenshot of something that he had texted someone that was like, I heard the Nets wanted Steve to be a head coach. Any intel on that, I doubt he'd do it though. And I think he did that like 
think that this timestamp on the tweet or the text was like August 23rd. So like there were some rumors, some people knew about it, but like chances are the Nets knew they were doing this right away. And I think somebody said Sean Marks played with Steve Nash in some capacity. Yeah, at some in, point. Phoenix, um, in Phoenix, I think. Yeah. And look, everyone seems to like the guy. But as you mentioned, coach, it's not like you're a cheerleader. It's not like you're being hired to be your best friend. Um, yeah. And the fact that, like, I love Kevin Durant as a player. The fact that they seem so to prioritize, like, his feelings, his personality fit, his ego. It's like his sensitivity. It's, it's just, like, alarming to me. <laughs> it's like... He clearly did not want, like, a hard-ass coach. He didn't even want a coach, coach. And listen, we don't know. Like, Steve Nash is an unbelievable competitor. Like, he really is. But the, the point is, you can't, you know, you're not going to win every battle. Like, as a point guard, and we'll, I'll talk about Chris Paul for a quick second. Like, we watch Chris Paul, like, go, like, black out on his teammates, right? Like, we see it happen. He praises them when they do well, and then when they do something wrong, like, he goes crazy in games, right? He doesn't turn it off. But if you're the head coach, you can't do that. Every possession, somebody screws something up. So while I think Steve has a good idea of, like, Here's when I can be hard on guys. Here's when I can't be hard on guys. Like coaching a star player is a whole lot different than like playing with the star player. It's, it's very, very different. So like I said, I, th- I think this is going to work to be honest with you. Like I'm not saying it'll work to the tune of like, right. they're going to win the title next year, but I think they're going to be pretty successful. And I think Steve Nash is going to end up being a good head coach. I think it's going to be a real culture shock for him. What well, I, th- actually- I think the team is going to be good. He'll get a lot of credit from the media because yeah. he's a media friendly guy anyway. But I Steve agree. He's a good dude, by the way. Like, no, totally. I, I, I really Nash. like him. I'll yeah. root for him. I, it, I do feel for, like you said, like the, the coaches and then the players turn coaches like, you know, Jock Vaughn or Darvin Ham's waiting for a chance or yeah. even on the higher profile, Tim Duncan, you know, we praised him for, you know, plugging is, away as an assistant coach. He's never going to be a head coach. As soon as Greg Pavich retires, Greg, Tim Duncan is done coaching. I would say like, even a guy like, you know, like your David Vanderpools or your Chris Fitch or Alex Jensen's like those guys, like they deserve opportunities. Right. Well, and also like, even, you know, obviously Steve Nash is better than a lot of these guys, but like, Think about like Jerry Stackhouse or Jawan Howard. Like Jerry Stackhouse coached in the G League. He did. And he tried to he work should, his way up. And he thought he should have gotten an NBA head coaching job right out of that. And then you see a guy like Steve Nash, you know, Jawan Howard, Patrick Ewing was an assistant for years right. and years and years. And the only place he could get a head job was Georgetown. Like that's, that is very sad to see. I, I'm being serious. And obviously we are just to, to I, know, I don't, I think it has less to do with the racial thing and more to do with like a point guard thing. It's point, like, absolutely. Cause it's, yeah, absolutely. You're exactly right about that. I think they said catchers in baseball are like like 50% of coaches or something. I used to be. I don't know what it is. Well, like, I mean, you can, I mean, that, that is the, in the majors now, there's a ton of guys that were catchers that were like Brad Osmus, Mike Matheny, Joe Girardi, you know what I mean? And again, it is what it is. And like, I, I part of me wants to praise the Nets for kind of going outside the box. I just think this is. <laughs> it's a little far outside the box well yeah and from their perspective like let's say the other option was jock vaughn so it makes more sense to have steve nash as the head coach and jock vaughn is like the number two than just to hire jock vaughn i mean add extra talent to the room but it's interesting i'm down on the hire again but i think the team will be very good especially what we're seeing in the rest of these the league it's it's the title is going to be up for grabs next year. Yeah. Like I said, I just think it's not the way the coaching industry should ultimately work. I Where were you in the process? Did you get to the second round of interviews? Yeah, yeah, I interviewed for the job. All right, let's uh I guess <laughs> I don't really know what to talk about. Let's let's uh let's do let's stay with East cuz like what's going to happen yeah, to the East right. next year. So Okay, let's do Boston and Toronto because game 3 
I, I don't even know quite how to describe. So Boston's up 2-0 and Boston's almost up, one game. Boston's up 2-0. Kemba Walker has like an amazing pass to Daniel Tice with half a second left to put Boston up to in a game where Toronto really did battle. Like they, they, they kind of came out of the gates pretty quick. Boston came back and it was pretty back and forth. Fred Van, v- Van Vliet actually made some big shots in the third quarter to keep the game close. Half a second left, side out of bounds. <laughs> Kyle Lowry's inbounding. Celtics put Taco Fall in the game to guard the inbounder. Normally, I'm not a guard the inbounder guy for reasons of like what we saw in Oklahoma City and Houston on Wednesday night, but I liked guarding the inbounder with half a second with a guy who's nine feet tall because Kyle Lowry's very short. The Celtics play zone. They get they miscommunicate in terms of like switching. Somehow, OG Ananubi's wide open on the baseline. Kyle Lowry makes maybe the best pass I've ever seen in my life right in the pocket, cross-court corner, and Ananubi hits a three at the buzzer, and the Raptors are back from the dead. Like, I, I swear to God, Zan, like, that was the craziest pass and shot I've ever seen, just considering that it was 2-0 Celtics, about to be 3-0 Celtics, and zero teams in NBA history have ever come back from 3-0. Like, for that ending to happen, I just don't – I don't even know how to call the rest of the series. Like, I don't know. What, what do you do if you're Boston? Yeah. How do you feel if you're Toronto? Like, it just was – I just want to say, like, that was the – Maybe the best pass I've ever seen under the circumstances. Seriously, no exaggeration. And it's too bad for Kemba because it's like, remember when Julio Jones had that great sideline catch in the Super Bowl and then they, yeah, lost, then they lost, so it didn't matter. Kemba's pass, like he looked like he was totally out of control. Great, like behind the back to an open Daniel Tice. Looked like he was he was trapped, right? Like yeah. he dribbled into like three different dudes and then, yeah, like wrap around bounce pass to Daniel Tice. Like that was incredible. And was- then followed up with an even better pass, as you said. And then, but you know, it's that results-based thing. Like, what if OG would have missed the shot? We wouldn't have still been incredible. About it. Still no, incredible. no, still an incredible pass, of course. But um, it all worked out, and I'm glad because yeah, now we have too. a series, right? Yeah, me too. Absolutely. Like Toronto is an interesting team, and it's we talked about this. I think we touched on this like a tiny bit before about how like teams who were driven by depth in the playoffs, you never know if they they are going to get enough scoring from their other guys, right? Because, you, you know, ultimately you just rather have Kawhi Leonard, right? Like you, you just would rather have the guy that's going to, I don't know, Zam, like he's just going to give you 40 and, and you're going to win the game. But like last night, that was like the recipe for Toronto to win and they still needed a crazy ending to win the game. Like, do we feel any differently about the series based off them making a shot with half a second left than we did before? Because like... No. Well, I just remember when Boston won the first game by 20, we're like, it didn't seem to change our opinion about the series. It seems like kind of like a 50-50 series, maybe. Um, And it's amazing because Boston's without Gordon Hayward, who's, you know, not great anymore, but that's a good wing player that you'd like to have. And it seems to me Boston's a little better still somehow. I guess because they have like a better starting lineup. I don't know. I mean, they just have Tatum and Kemba, who you feel pretty good about getting shots, and then Jalen Brown is just like so solid as your your third guy. Like my fear for Toronto is like you're a big Pascal Siakam guy, but he's not played well. If he's your number one player, then I just don't know if you have enough. It was interesting that they doubled so quickly last night, like. And Anubi started in the corner on like Tatum and then he kind of like walked the baseline. And then as Siakam came to like screen up for Van Vliet, they, they doubled Van Vliet. But then I think they were worried maybe about like Gasol slipping to the rim up two, and they stuck with Gasol. So like Siakam caused a bunch of problems on that play when in reality, like I don't really care if Siakam catches the ball above the break to shoot there with half a second left. Right. Like, it's just he, he's not that level of dangerous to me. 
No. And he's sort of like, he was so well cast last year as like sort of like a garbage scorer, you know, like right. if you leave him open in the paint, like you're going to pay. But Cause, if cause you're even, focused on him. Even in reality, and as good as he is, he is a very good player. Like even in reality last year, like he wasn't even like their second option, right? Like he just sort of was kind of like, he can do a lot of things well. He's he's excellent in transition, great rim runner, like pretty good wing, wing defender, can make an open three. But like they had Kawhi, they had Kyle, they had Fred Van Vliet going crazy in the playoffs. Like Siakam just kind of was like the other guy. And so now it's it's a situation where like if you don't get, you know, I mean, I think they got they got 56 points last night from Kyle and Fred Van Vliet. Like if you don't get that, like I don't understand how they win. And so and, I think they and will. And you need Jason Tatum to shoot badly, which he did. I mean, and we, and we did get to see like ultimate Marcus smart regression. Like he had two straight games where he, you know, shot the ball like Steph Curry. And then last night just was taking terrible shots in the fourth quarter. Goes two for nine, four for 15. And I think the Celtics will live with that. I I forgot to look up. Is Gordon Hayward any chance he comes back this playoffs? Not for, yeah, yeah, yeah. This playoffs. I think he should, uh, they said four weeks originally, and it seems like he's tracking to be back next round, but. Because I was thinking like, is Boston a title contender. I mean, I think so. you know, the Clippers look like probably the best team right now, but outside I mean, they look of that, the best team after one game with Patrick Beverly, which we'll talk about, but like, <laughs> I, just, I don't think that like, to me, they looked great. The Clippers looked great on Thursday night, but it wasn't like, it wasn't a situation where I was like, Oh my God. Like, yeah, if they play as well as they did on Thursday night, I think the Clippers are the favorite, but we haven't seen that sustained energy level from them for seven straight games. So, well, I think that, you know, the playoffs, maybe it's one of those years where it's like, you know, six teams could win it and it's just like who makes the last shot or not so let me ask you this boston boston toronto right now uh on bovada toronto is a one point favorite for saturday night's game do you feel comfortable taking toronto uh, the series price is actually closer to even than i thought as well let me look that up but. No, i wouldn't take toronto i mean i would still lean to boston four three i mean it's gonna be close and the fact that they have a two one edge it could have been three oh i mean then it would have been you know over almost but i think it's a coin flip the rest of the way and you take the team that already had one coin in their favor yeah toronto plus uh plus 180 on bovada and then uh boston's minus uh, yeah and i also don't think there's any like real adjustments these coaches that are both good can make to like totally turn the tide it's just gonna be like these are the guys this is the dog these guys, are really, these guys are really good and this is a good di- this is a good comparison to the other series in the eastern conference which had an even which had a just as an insane ending just a little different but like stevens and, and nick nurse is awesome to watch like it's very fun like nick nurse is like out of timeout plays are great like brad stevens is guys like they don't make mistakes like it's, it's really great i want to say one more thing about boston when are teams just going to start drafting like Boston does? Like, just take as many, like, big, solid wings as possible and then figure out the rest, right? Like, they, they have all these guys that they can just, like, throw at you. Like, Semio Jaylee plays. Like, they have my guy Romeo. Like, they, they just, like, at some point, like, teams just need to realize, like, we just need to get as many wings as possible, right? Like, it's, Yeah, and it's sort of like they're – no, totally. I agree with that. Like, Grant Williams is not technically a wing, but, again, he's, like, 6'8", like, 250. You can put him out there. Like, Brad Wanamaker's a bigger, stronger point guard. Like, it's just – the Celtics, like, they just – Well, they, they sort of – like, Houston's, like, full force, like, small ball, which I like, too. But Boston's sort of, like, the – sort of the medium wing ball kind of where it's, like, you have one point guard, traditional point guard who can get his own shot. You have one, like, small – ball center like daniel tice 
who it was you know switchable yeah, enough. He, he probably then, couldn't play for the Rockets, but like he can play in this system. They're kind of like the the Warriors light a little bit. In yeah, terms of no, I wins. love the construction of their team. Yeah, um, and. So I'm like, I, I don't know. I think they can win. Um, I mean, I mean, I think the reason we think they can win is that Jason Tatum has truly taken the leap on both ends of the floor as a legitimate like wing player that can win you a title, right? Like he, I'm not saying he's going to do it this year, nor am I saying that he's ever going to do it. But in terms of like, if you watch Toronto and you watch Boston, like you got to believe in Boston more because of Jason Tatum, right? Because at the end of games, like that's a guy that can guard the other team's best player, not as well as he scores it, but like, and can score for you down the stretch. Yeah, and like, also Kemba, Kemba's step. not Kemba's not a great player. I'm sorry to say he's like a very good player. Um, yeah. But I trust him a little bit. You know, like he's dribbling out of control at the end of the game. But like you have a feeling like the ball's in pretty good hands here. You know, he can hit a shot. He can make a play. He, he's not scared of the moment. I would agree. I would agree with that. I think you're absolutely right. All right. So two one there. I, like I said, it's going to be fun. I, I think this one's going to end up going seven. That's kind of my prediction. Do you on think this. you originally had Toronto? Do you still think Toronto's going to pull it out or no? I don't think so. Yeah, I think it's hard to take Toronto. I suppose so if you seven, odds, you, like if you if you got like plus one fifty on Bovada, let's it's, say it's plus one eighty right now. Oh, okay. Like I, I think that's pretty good value for a team that I, like one thing I know about Toronto is like they're they are not going to like just stop playing right. Like they're not going to fold. I will say this. I don't think Toronto is as much of an NBA title candidate just in terms of what we've seen. I do think Boston is. And then in the next series, let's just Miami and Milwaukee right now, 2-0 Miami. The end of game two was just an absolute gong show. Like Miami's up six, 19 seconds left. Milwaukee scores. They force a turnover, which was a joke to begin with. Jimmy Butler was out of bounds. George Hill fouled him. George Hill was out of bounds when he touched the ball. They throw the ball in. Brooke Lopez makes a layup. and then. I can't remember what the next sequence was. It was like a missed, missed, made free throws, right? And then Chris Middleton ends up getting fouled on a three-pointer, makes all three, games tied, correct, right? Because they missed a free throw. Jimmy Butler missed a free throw, so they were down three. Games tied. Like, two seconds left. They throw it to Jimmy Butler in the corner. He shoots a fadeaway jump shot, terrible shot. Ball's all the way out of his hands already. Giannis puts his hand on his back with, like, 0.3 seconds left. The refs call foul. Mark Davis is, like, just itching to, like, put his stamp on the game. Yeah, Jimmy lands. They review it. They take – they put 0.0 on the clock. Jimmy makes two free throws, and the Heat win. And, like, aside from the fact that I thought the last minute, which took 16 minutes in real time, just like the, just like the Rockets and Thunder did, I just, like – I just can't with, like, Mike Buttonholzer, man. Like, there is just no reason in a game – it's game two of the freaking – Eastern Conference semifinals, dude. Like, what are we saving Giannis and Chris Middleton for? Like, Chris Middleton played 33 minutes in that game. Like, what is going on here? Like, I'm not saying play everybody like James Harden and play your guys 50 minutes, 48 minutes a night. But, like, if you're Mike Bunholzer, you lose a game by two. You're losing, like, most of the game. Giannis has 29 and 14. They literally can't stop him. Like, why is he playing 36 minutes? Like, why is he sitting at the start of the fourth quarter? What is going on? Seriously. I don't understand. The lineups this guy plays, are, they're insane, Zan. Like, I read something where it's like he has like knee problems or something where he can't play more than like 35 minutes. And I, I don't did, know about You that. did not read that. I swear I read that somewhere. <laughs> I'm, um, just, I'm just saying, man. Like it's, it is totally fascinating to me that in a game where like Giannis is essentially unguardable. I mean, they make it hard for him, but like he's... You mean Scottie Pippen? 
God, um, that was the dumbest. Who said that? Richard Jefferson, right? Like that was the stupidest thing I've ever heard, by the way. Like <laughs> he's going to be back to back league MVP. Like he's not close to Scottie Pippen. Like that's not whatever. Go on. Sorry. Yeah. Like the idea that Giannis needs to be like a second banana, like the that's guy, the dumbest thing I've ever heard. <laughs> per 36, he averaged per 36 for saying 35 points, 16 rebounds, six assists, wins defensive player of the year. I mean, like he obviously needs a certain team around him, but if he's not your best player, then then you're playing, you know, <laughs> like they, a Space Jam team. Or yeah, they got Kevin, they, you know, Kevin Durant and Anthony Davis and Giannis Antetokounmpo on a team. Like, come on now. I just, I just don't understand what Mike Budenholzer needs to see. This is two years in a row where, like, there's been some pretty disappointing trends for him. And he's been, like, definitely stubborn in terms of, like, making tactical changes, especially in terms of how they've guarded. Like, they've stayed in drop coverage a lot. If you're going to let Giannis be your free safety, like, I don't understand why you're not just switching everything. And I get the thing with Brooke Lopez. Like, it's tough to switch with Brooke on the floor, and he's very important as a rim protector. But, like, they should be switching one through four. But they can't guard anybody off the dribble, and the Heat are getting tons of open threes. So he's got to do something different for game three. But here's the easiest thing he can do for Friday night. The easiest thing he can do. Play Middleton and Giannis 80 minutes combined. That's the easiest thing. Like, I mean – you don't think if we played those guys seven well, more minutes? Oh, you know, down 2-0, oh, you, you think it's about time. Um, I, about think the heat are really, I think the Heat are really good. I think the Bucks are still really good. I, I, I thought game two was... Well, and good. also the Heat to win with a bad game from Jimmy Butler offensively, you know, scoring-wise, um, I, I is a the, good sign. I think the Bucks were better individually, uh, like defensively speaking. I, I thought they did a, well, a better job one-on-one. They did a terrible job in terms of team defense. Like... Like, what do you do? Because, like, Miami shot 20 more threes. And they didn't make it, you know, they weren't, like, red hot. They shot 38%, which is good. But Good, yeah, it's good. Milwaukee, I mean, like, that's the whole team, right? Like, aren't you supposed to, like, go to Giannis and hit some threes? And, and just, you know, Middleton didn't make any last game, but he played okay. Um, I don't know. I mean, like, what's the adjustment? I mean, besides playing more minutes. Do you play Kyle Korver? You played 10 minutes. Do you play DiVincenzo, who's not a shooter, but he's yeah, active? Dante's been, like, one of the biggest issues is they just don't feel as confident, I think, in him since the restart as they did prior to. Like, he's just, you know, eight you minutes. You just shrink it and say we're playing our five guys plus George Hill. Well, I think you – no, I mean, I don't think you can do that. I, I would love to do that for sure, but I don't, I don't think you can do that. I, I think they need to play – I think them playing 10 is fine. Like, I think it's not a problem, really. You need to play Giannis more. I also think we need to we need to talk about Giannis for like a quick second in terms of like defensive player of the year is totally fine to give him. He was tremendous yeah, defensively, sure. but he plays as like a rover in their scheme. And at a certain point, when like you said, like the Heat were attacking a ton from the weak side and they're trying to get Giannis to help and they're trying to get open threes because that is one thing he does is like he just tries to block shots and like cut the rim off. Like we need to be a little bit more solid as a team defensively. And I do think the Bucks are very the, the Bucks don't like switching, which is interesting because like most teams now just switch everything on the perimeter. And I don't know if I don't if like I think they're hesitant to switch against Miami because you get in a situation where like Jimmy Butler is great at abusing switches, but like do they not feel comfortable with like any of their starting lineup other than Brooke Lopez? Don't they think any of their starters can guard Jimmy Butler? Like Middleton's not. Oh, I thought Wes Matthews did okay. He's um, okay. He's fine. He's but strong. he's on him all the time to begin with. Like, why can't Giannis guard Jimmy Butler some? Like, why can't – like, what's going on where Jay Crowder – Jay Crowder shoots four for 12 from three on Wednesday night, but, like, 
he had 12 open shots pretty much. I, he didn't. I think he had two at the end of the shot clock. But, like, we shouldn't just be giving up open threes to, like, Kelly Olenek and Tyler Hero. And it just seems weird. Tyler Hero is so good, though. I, he, is, uh, he, is quite, he is quite good. Uh, but he, I, I'll tell you this. Are we, can I have a question? This is, like, a getting away from the issue. Because I was writing about Indiana and what they should do this offseason to shake it up. Would you, if you were them, salaries match, let's say, trade Victor Oladipo for Tyler Hero? Would I do, do that? You think Definitely. His, There's no way Miami would. will do that. I'm just wondering if you think Tyler Hero can get to the level of being like, you know, Wait a second. Like, you know, top two or three option. I think Tyler Hero is really good. I, uh, I do I too. I, I, think, I think I mentioned this with the point guard, with the pick and roll stuff. His numbers were really bad, which was surprising to me because he f- looks like he has good feel, but I, I like him. He's a confident kid. Like I, I like this heat team. And I'll, I'll say this. We were talking about like, can anyone win the title? I am pretty confident that there are five teams left that I think can definitely win the title six. If Houston shoots it well, but I think Miami or Milwaukee, if one of them won the NBA title, it would not stun me the way that Miami's playing right now. I think it would surprise me just in the sense that this is like a fifth seed that probably right. was like a top 10 team. SRS was eighth this year. So it would be surprising, but, but I you, agree. Like at this point in the season, it feels like I think the Clippers, we can talk more about them. I do think they're the best team, but after that, it's, it seems like they're just a big clump after that, including Milwaukee, yeah. including Boston, Miami. Your, your thing is like the Clippers at their best are better than anyone else's best. Is what you I just think they have the best roster. I mean, you have like, the best roster. Boston probably has the second best roster in all honesty, in terms of like winning a title, but they don't have LeBron or Anthony Davis. But I, I, like Miami, I think if we just look at the restart, like it's it's you know it's tough for me just given how teams have shot in the bubble, excluding Game Seven of Utah and Denver, which was the only game I've seen where nobody made shots, but excluding that game with how well teams have shot the ball and how well the Heat are shooting the ball. Like, I don't know that we can use any data from, like, the start of the season until March to evaluate teams right now. And Miami looks just about as good as any of the other teams, like, that aren't the Clippers, right? Like, they, they look really good. They really do. And I think yeah. Milwaukie – I'm not, pan- I'm not like, panic-panicked about Milwaukee. Like, yeah, they're down 2-0. They, absolutely, Friday night is a must-win for them. You just can't go down 3-0. But – I mean, they're plus 145 on Bovada right now, which is a little bit surprising. But Milwaukee's plus 145 to win the series? Yeah, they've, uh, they, yeah, plus 145 to win the series. I would take them. I I think they're going to win. Yeah, like they were down 2 0 before. There's a couple like easy tactical errors. Like Bud just needs to manage his rotation slightly better in terms of who he plays together. And then, like, we just, you know, make a couple more shots, right? Like they were 7 for 25. And then you talk about best roster. Like if you if you ignore star like top end stars, Miami might be in that conversation because you have good shooters, good ball movers. They have three guys who average five assists a game this year: Dragic, Jimmy Butler, and Bam average five. And you know, I saw somewhere I forgot who said it on YouTube. They said that they would build. I think it was D'Angelo Russell. So take it with a grain of salt. But he said if he was starting a team, he would build around Bam on bio, just because of the you know defensive versatility and you know everything else. But um, and he's 22, you know, I mean, like the, this team has a bright future. I mean, besides Jimmy Butler and Dragic, they're all under like 26. No, I mean, it's a, it's a good team to me. Like I'm, I've been quite and Iguodala, your boy, Iguodala, who's been well, a major factor. He's injured now. So maybe, maybe they won't get to play him and you'll be happy about that. And they'll play Derek Jones and you'll like that better. Uh, all right, let's, 
let's start with Denver and Utah. We'll talk about that game seven real quick. Super ugly game. Uh, that, that's probably your best call. I, I don't really listen to much of what you say. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and as Don Jack Ellison, brother, ombudsman, the podcast said, because um, he hates Giannis and he's been predicting this all along that there might need, I mean, Milwaukee would lose. He said, we're known fools. And I, I think he's usually right. It's, it's fair. Except the one thing I think is the most impressive thing you've ever said. I mean, a bit of insight was that game sevens tend to get ugly. Both the game sevens were very ugly and low scoring relatively, especially the Denver Utah game. It was like, you know, it was like a mess. Yeah, Denver, Denver, Utah looked like a first round playoff series in like 1996. This game seven, it was 80 to 78. Like, I mean, yeah, was, and if you look at if you look at the, the league average, that's like 30 points off the league average. Way below, way below. Like, I think the over under for this game, I, I didn't check it specifically on the bottom beforehand, but I, I honestly got think the over under was like 218, and the game played to what 158. Like, wow. I mean, so real quick on this. Rudy Gobert was awful in the first half and incredible in the second half. Like, his activity, it makes you sort of believe about Rudy being, like, a max guy. Uh, Jokic was – it's just incredible how much work that guy gets done. But, like, Donovan Mitchell, 9 for 22, more of what we've – you know, nine turnovers. Like, more of what we had seen of Donovan Mitchell when we talk about, like, him not being great, but he made some shots to keep him in the game. I felt really bad for Mike Conley, like, 2 for 13, 1 for 6 from 3. Had the shot to win at the end. Almost. I thought it was down out of his hands. I really did. Jamal Murray, after having probably the greatest three-game playoff stretch of in history of the NBA, uh, seven for 21, but he did make two big shots in the fourth quarter. And then he did make one of the most inexplicable plays I've ever seen. Like up to 10 seconds to go, they, they force a turnover. And instead of Jamal Murray just doing what every scorer in the history of the league has done and just getting fouled and padding your stats, he dribbles the ball, starts a three-on-two break. They throw it to Torrey Craig, who misses the layup, and then Utah gets a run out, which results in an open Mike Conley transition three, which he rims out at the buzzer and Denver advances. But, like, Jamal Murray, to me, is just a fascinating character because he's just, like – like we said, you see it, you watch him score 50 over a three game span. And you're like, man, this guy does everything. And then you watch him in game seven. And then well, in that, game that, five, that, that's, that's the difference between a perennial all-star Jamal Murray and just like a guy yeah. who shows it once in a while. Um, who is a perennial all-star? Jokic. That dude is so good. Like he, he needs to be better defensively. Draymond Green was killing him Thursday night for his defense, but like they just threw him the ball in the fourth quarter and he just made play after play after play for them. Like, and, and the team, you know, maybe it was emotionally exhausted in game one against the Clippers, but to get to that series, like why I think the Clippers are clearly the best team is like, they're getting healthy. And I love, I said before, like they're sort of big starting lineup, especially if they can play Beverly. And then you have George and Kawhi Leonard is like wings, you know, giant sized wings, Marcus Morris, you know, probably a little underrated because everyone hates him. Um, it's just such and a then jerk. Zubak, I think, is solid. And so I think their starting lineup might be the best starting lineup in the league. And then you say, hey, maybe they have the best sixth man as well, and maybe they have the best seventh man as well. So, like, that's a pretty stacked team. Yeah, and, you know, so they win Thursday night 120-97 to 97 over Denver. I want to talk about Utah in a second, but, like, they just have so many defenders. With Patrick Beverly healthy, like, they have so many guys they can throw at Jamal Murray. They have a bunch of dudes that are big enough and strong enough and help to really kind of bother Jokic. They get their arms out in passing lanes. Like, 
I thought this series would go I thought this series would go six when Denver won, just because like we haven't seen like the Clippers lock it in for, for four games. After game one, assuming that Patrick Beverly's healthy, I think Denver gets one game. But like they weren't yeah. great against Utah. Like they did make some good adjustments against Utah, but really like they won that series because Jamal Murray won them two games, essentially. Like Jamal Murray won them games four and five or five and six, and then they did enough in game seven, but it wasn't like they played great against Utah. They they basically needed a guy to score to, like I said, have the greatest three-game stretch in the history of the NBA playoffs for them to win the series. And so are we really going to expect Denver to just like come back and like get off the map? They do, Matt, they just don't have enough to meet to compete with the Clippers. I don't think. Would be interesting because, you know, most of these coaching hires, not to get to get back to that, are going to happen probably before the playoffs end. But let's say the Clippers win the title with Ty Lu as like an assistant coach. Like what, what happens? He's like the most – you know, whether you think he's a good coach or not, like maybe the most overqualified assistant at this point. I so, guess he's getting the job in Philly. Is supposedly, that- yeah. Philly's reporting that like he's close to getting the job there, but I don't know. I, I mean, mean I, I, I was I, just on basketball reference. Sam Cassell, you know, near star, right, in his day. He made one all-star team. He's been an assistant coach for 11 years, plugging away. Can you imagine him looking at Steve Nash, just like jumping the head of the line? Oh. I don't know what the deal kind of has been with Sam Cassell, but I don't want, I don't want to derail it and talk about uh, coaching hires, but I like Ty Lue is expected, I think, to get the job in Philly. Um, Utah, I believe, I don't remember. I think Chris Haynes reported this, like they're going to max Donovan Mitchell and he's going to sign it because everyone signs their second year max. Like that's what it is, but like maybe Giannis won't do it. I don't know, but they're going to sign Donovan Mitchell to a max deal uh, when free agency opens. Good or bad move, you think? I mean, what else can you do, right? I, I think mean, you have to do it. Yeah. yeah, in Utah. And, like, there was so much talk. Like, they really got bailed out by Donovan Mitchell because after, you know, we said after Hayward left, there's a lot of talk. Like, they should tank. It's over. They peaked. They're not going to get back in the playoffs. They're going to be in that, like, middle range. And then they stayed alive because they hit on that pick. Um, if you don't sign him, what are you going to do? I mean, you know, <laughs> he's probably going to be, like, one of the worst max players. But – you know, he, he, it's fine. <laughs> I, I don't see any way around that unless you, I mean, is there any star that wants to come to Utah? Yeah. I just think you stick with Rudy probably and you hope somebody takes a jump or you hit on somebody in the draft, but they're an old team to be in with. Like Bogdanovich is over 30. Mike Conley's over 30. Like this is probably a team where you don't feel quite as good about their chances moving forward. But Donovan Mitchell, I think he deserves it. The league seems to really like him. He's probably the type of guy that will keep you around 500. And then if you have a good coach, like, but like with the way the West is going to be next year, it's, uh, I'm more optimistic because Conley was playing better, you know, will hopefully be more comfortable. He's getting older. Of course, aren't we all Um, Bogdanovich will be back and healthy. I think they have to figure out Jordan Clarkson is like, is this smoke and mirrors? Is this sustainable? Yeah, I don't know. I like it. He, is he under contract for another year? I, I like I his role. So. I really do. But I think if they're healthy, I think they're. I would lock them into the playoffs next year. And, and hey, that's that's good enough, right? Yeah, I, I would imagine that too. Okay. So Friday night, Lakers, Houston. Houston wins game seven over your boys, the Oklahoma City Thunder, 104-102. I'm sure you have quite a lot of takes about James. Uh, not really. I... I felt, you know, you nailed the other Game 7 prediction. I thought Houston would roll. I thought Harden would score 40. Turns out he's no Lou Dort. 
Um, Boy, step up in the clutch, but that was. Let me tell you something. You know how like you get like statistics about like how guys shoot and like where they are on the spectrum. If you told me the Lou Dort game was so out of character, like he was two for fifteen from three going into Game Seven in in Games Five and Game Six. He shoots what, like six for 12 from three to the point it was so more out of character. I'm sorry. He was, he was, uh, where was it? Sorry. I have the wrong game up right now. He, the idea that like Lou Dort took the last shot really for them, like where, and you thought maybe it would go in to the point where they weren't closing out at all for that. You get to like Harden, like flying at Lou Dort to like stop him from shooting. It, I, I think honest to God, the way that they guarded Lou Dort, everyone's kind of killing him for not like pump faking and letting Houston and letting Harden just like fly by him and then setting his feet and shooting it. But like, if you're Lou Dort, like they haven't closed out on you all day. Why would you expect them to close out on you at the end of the game? Like it was wild. I mean, that was a great play. Um, I mean, so Dort goes 10 for 21 for the field, six for 12 from three, the most points ever scored by an undrafted free agent in the playoffs, the most points ever scored by someone who was a single digit scorer in the regular season. I I mean, it, it was just like, I don't think Lou Dort will have a game in his career again where he makes six threes, but he goes for 30. See, I, I, I like, I, like I said, I don't think he's as bad. I think his shot looks okay. He's 21. I mean, come on, give the guy a break. Most guys take a leap in their second year anyway. Like even Gary Trent Jr. didn't shoot that well as a rookie. So like, I think he'll be okay. I mean, I don't know if he's a long-term answer here, but he had his moment. Your boy James Harden, you know, spared from the four for fifteen. From the if, if James Harden lost the series, the, you know, the knives would have been out in the you, media. And you know what's interesting? Media. You know, I don't buy into like clutch and momentum and all that stuff. And I, I read a very interesting. Piece. Well, you're a Harden fan, so yeah, I get it. Right. I read a very interesting piece about like guys who are so such high level processors are like unable to kind of like take their brains out of the situation. So like James Harden was going to wake up in the morning and be like game seven like let's go but in reality like he was going to feel that the stakes were higher as opposed to somebody in the, the, the other person used in this article was jeff green because they said that like jeff green is very even keel like for jeff green like every day is the same like he doesn't care like if he loses game seven like he goes home and he counts his money and it's fine and it's not to say that jeff green doesn't care and doesn't try he certainly does but in terms of like how hardened processes everything's always like it's firing on all cylinders, right? He knows where everybody is on the court. He knows the exact situation. And then all of a sudden, like he just can't get himself into a situation where he like makes shots late. But what I thought James Harden did in this game in the fourth quarter, that was more impressive. We've watched Harden like go down with the ship before Zan. We've watched him shoot 30 shots and have 10 turnovers trying to do way too much. And I thought that like, everybody was killing him for like, not feeling like he was in the game. The last eight minutes of the game, like he, either scored or assisted on every single one of their points. And then he had like three great plays. He had like two blocks in the fourth quarter, three assists. He had steal. Like I felt like this was the best I'd seen Harden play in the fourth quarter of a closeout game ever. Like, and I know how crazy that is to say, cause he only took three shots, but I felt like Harden knew like offensively, like I'm not making shots and I'm not going to make shots. So instead of hurting his team by taking shots and trying to get fouled, I thought for the first time in a long time, Zane, like we watched him, lock in on defense, like really make an effort on defense, except for that flop on the Chris Paul, like play with under a minute, which was just abysmal to watch. Like it was just pathetic. But like, other than that, saying like, I thought he did a great job playing almost like the anti-Harden, like being like, 
and letting Russ just like Russ was one for seven or one for eight in the fourth quarter, like had a big stretch in the third quarter. But like I thought Harden, I mean, don't get me wrong, man. They got lucky. Robert Covington makes six yes. threes in a closeout game. Like, well, Jeff and also Green, like, I, I think Eric your point Gordon. about like Harden being like overthinking things or whatever, like, and you see it with Chris Paul a little bit, like Chris Paul is usually so good. And then he kind of made a few bad plays down the stretch. I think people who aren't clutch or tend to choke do overthink things. Cause you're like, you know, this is different. I'm taking going out of my routine versus like, and the classic example is, do you remember, I, I've said this on podcast before, Pedro Guerrero. Do you remember him? Yes. The baseball player. Yeah. Uh, good player. All-star. I mean, you know, I just looked it up. He won. He was finished top three in MVP three times. So very good player. And I did not know. I did not know that. Yeah. I didn't know that either. Um, but writer Bill James called him the best hitter God has made in a long time. Um, and then I think it turned out, I'm trying to figure out the politically correct way to say this. Uh, his IQ is like Forrest Gump level, um, like borderline, you know what I'm saying? And, and I think that would help somebody in clutch situations. Cause you're not really thinking it through, you know, you just like go up there. I'm, Oh, I'm hitting again. Or oh, I'm taking a three again. I'm hitting another free throw, like blah, blah, blah. You know, it's like, you don't want to overthink things. Um, Cause it is about the routine. Like if, if you are a good free throw shooter, you, you should approach the last free throw at the same that you the did same that. that you yeah. approach. Yeah. And this has always been my argument with Harden is like, people are like, Oh, he stinks in the fourth quarter. And it's like, look guys, like I understand the leverage index and like win probability added and whatnot. But like if the guy has 40 points in the first three quarters and then shoots one for seven in the fourth quarter, like, you know, and he didn't do that. I, I would say, I thought Billy Donovan made a couple pretty tactical mistakes right so let's talk about the last first of all this game got super slow at the end as well last the last second of the game took 10 minutes in real time I referees like their job is very hard and we only ever know when they do it poorly because when they do it well you never talk about them but like I thought the game was over like I thought the Rockets were absolutely dead in the water when Chris Paul made those back-to-back threes to tie the game I think he tied it at I think he tied it at 93 Harden was on the bench. They put Harden back in with nine minutes to go. And then they subbed Chris Paul out at like the six minute mark. Right. And I remember, I think I texted you about this, that like, I thought it was a bad sub in game six and Chris Paul was able to overcome it. And I think it was a bad sub in game seven. I understand the guy's old and I understand that like he's playing 40 minutes and that's a lot, but like you're going home if you lose. Chris Paul was unbelievable up until that point. He was like surgical the way he was getting guys shots. And then you take him out of the game and I don't know that it really bothered his rhythm, but he only took one shot after that. He missed a little, he missed like a little pull up, like kind of leaner with like about a minute to go. And then obviously with the, on the last possession before the side out of bounds, like he very out of character, like Russ made a great play and like switched on to, to kind of double ball and then tip the ball and then scramble situation that ends up in Lou Dort's hands. And everybody knows about the hard block, but I, I thought that Billy Donovan made a really crucial error there. And I thought that like with 20 seconds left after Russ missed a layup and Houston was down two, right. Or Houston was down one. Excuse, Houston was up one. Why didn't he take a timeout and put in Gallinari? Like I understand that Gallinari didn't have a good game, but like they've been so bad on offense with Dort and Steven Adams in the game. And so obviously Lou Dort's having the game of his life. You don't take him out. But like, why is Steven Adams in the game? Like, I know he'd say like, oh, we want to maybe get an well, offense. Mark, Jack- Mark Jackson and Kenny Smith are always like, go to Steven Adams, go to Steven Adams. It just, but to me, like they, they, the spacing is so bad. And it allow- unless you're going to post up Steven Adams, which they're obviously not going to do, 
I just thought they should have taken a timeout and put put Gal and Ari in the, in no, the game sure. there. I, just because it's it was so- ugly. It was like predictably ugly. I texted you like when on that last out of bounds play. I'm like. They're going to have a turnover somehow. They're not going to get off a shot. Yeah, I, didn't. Was, I mean, it reminded me of the Craig Escher at Guerra in Georgetown. Um, and they would have thrown it to Michael seven. Sweetney in the post, though, 100% of the time. The, uh, um, both those games happened. did remind me of college. Like, the you know, the, it's great to watch a single elimination game. It is. It is. But it felt like college and like it was really sloppy and it was just like a, you know, who's going to make the last mistake. It was like, it was like so wild. Like Eric Gordon who played quite well and did an excellent job on Chris Paul in the fourth quarter when they finally put him back in and switched him on. But like Houston made a couple good decisions. I thought they put, they put Gordon on Paul and then they were doubling Paul anytime. Like if he tried to get a switch with Covington, they would like instantly try to double and get the ball out of his hands. I thought that worked really well. I thought Dennis Schroeder, like he just is so, much of like a, just a little gnat, right? He's just so annoying. And if I was an Oklahoma City Thunder fan, I'd have been furious with Dennis Schroeder, one for seven in the fourth quarter, multiple possessions in the last three minutes that he didn't even look at Chris Paul and tried to go to the rim. Like, I I just felt like, and then Billy Donovan, after after Robert Covington gets fouled, so they miss this, that three, Dort throws it out of bounds, they put 2.7 on the clock. The Rockets try to get the ball in bounds. They get it in bounds once to Harden. He tries to throw it over his head and end the game, by the way. Nobody's talking about that, but he's trying to, like, Michael roughen it, and that wasn't going to work. But then they get it into Covington, goes one for two from three, from the foul line. Houston's up two. So side out, 1.1 seconds left. They call a foul away from the ball on James Harden, and then they go to review it. Chris Paul's, like, begging him to review it. They finally do. Gallinari misses the free throw. But lost in all this was Billy Donovan had three times on the grease board to draw up a play, and the the look they got was Stephen Adams running to the foul to the three point line like that was insanely bad. Like and and I'm not even saying like they should have lobbed it to Adams. I don't I don't think they should have done that. He was very immobile. Covington and PJ Tucker were both within distance to tip it, and obviously if they tip the ball there, the game's over because a second runs off the clock. But like, what the hell, man? Like why? Why was Shea Gilgis Alexander taking the ball out? It's no. There's no real good opportunity for Chris Paul with a second left to like get himself an open look once he catches it. Like why? Why? I just yeah. It's over. It's over. Oklahoma City's gone. Chris Paul. Did you see his interview? It sounded like he's gone. I don't know where he's going. But I don't think he's going anywhere. Why would they? He was one of the he best. He might get players. head coaching jobs. <laughs> he if he wants to be a head coach, he will be. He was one of the best players in the NBA this year. But okay. No, no. But I was going to say I want to you know give your Houston team some props because like ugly win, ugly series in terms of expectations because Oklahoma City's not that good. Um. But it doesn't really looking ahead. That doesn't bother me that much. Like they're, you know, everyone's like Toronto swept. They keep rolling. I'm like that last series doesn't really affect the next series as much. So like Houston barely beats Oklahoma City, but I still think they have a chance against the Lakers. Do you? Uh, you know, I don't know. I, okay, so right now series odds on Bovada. The Rockets are plus three seventy five. For Lakers minus 550. That's the series price. I would say that I do not feel great about the Rockets going into this series. I think the way that they play, and I think if the Lakers do not adjust to it, I think Houston certainly has a chance to win. I think it will be a very fun series. D'Antoni, I think, is better than Frank Vogel. I think LeBron and Anthony Davis are incredible, and I think it's going to be hard for Houston to guard them. They they Houston was 2-1 and one against him this year, but Anthony Davis didn't play in one of the games. 
P.J. Tucker does a pretty good job on Anthony Davis. I don't know who the hell is going to guard LeBron. But, like, the Lakers have played pretty slow, and the Lakers have not shot the ball great. Right. And we know Houston's going to, like, run and gun. And they are going to run Dwight Howard and JaVale off the floor. So it's possible that this works out well for the Lakers because they have to play Anthony Davis more. But I don't know if the Lakers are super equipped to play this style. And are they ready to adapt? Like, So, like, I, if Harden – let's say Harden shoots 39% from three in this series – Houston can win for sure. Well, that's why I'm optimistic about Houston's chances of being competitive. Like one, they've gotten to a point where they can win without Harden scoring 40, 50, you know, like they, they think, shoot a lot of threes. I think that's why game seven was so impressive for me watching Houston is they were just so good defensively against a team, like a small guard team, like Oklahoma city played differently, but like, Russ was bad in the fourth quarter, but he had a big stretch in the third quarter where he looked much closer back to normal. He loves playing against the Lakers. It, I'm, I'm not going to pick Houston. I, I just don't think they're going to win. I think LeBron and Anthony Davis are a little too good, but like this is the series that like we circled and saying, like, if you really want to see. Yeah, it, it's like the ultimate matchup because, and, you know, Portland people were excited about Portland, but they really didn't have anyone who could guard LeBron or Anthony oh. Davis. And Covington's not like an amazing on the ball. Defender. I think it's fine. I think Covington, I mean, relatively, no one's going to stop those guys. But if you put Covington on LeBron, PJ Tucker on Anthony Davis, try to bully him a little bit. Look, it's not, you know, the best defenders in the league, but like they're better than average picks. They're, you know? they're quite good as a team defending as well, the way they send their help. And, and we've seen them make changes and, and to like, boy you know thick james harden if he gets switched he's you know you can't bully him he's a good post defender he, he's yeah. had a good defensive bubble i would say like he's not changed his narrative to like oh man he's a great defender but like he is a good defender like he's turned himself into a much more engaged defender and again here, here's the thing harden you know he, he still is the same shooting woes that we've seen like i think he's shot like 30 percent in the series against oklahoma city from three and you know he didn't shoot a ton of foul shots like he's he, he'll shoot some of course but like lou dort as much as i like was down on him like there's nobody on goal, on the clip or the lakers that's like the same body type the same physicality like are we really gonna like harden's got to be like salivating to right. see i mean like you could Caruso. see Danny green or, or yeah, but, kcp's okay but the, the, um, the one thing that lou dort was so good at was like he's just so strong like harden just bullies dudes right, right. and i just think that like both well, harden think, and russ have got to be so excited for this level because chris paul's a good defender right like right shooter's and, okay. and, and then the lakers like maybe you put danny green on harden but they don't have guys to guard both Harden and Westbrook if, no. if Westbrook's playing well I mean um, that was the, the last game that, that they played I remember it was an ESPN like Friday night game and Russ just went insane at the end of the game because like they, they don't have the athleticism to guard him so like if Russ makes shots like it's it, it's it's possible for sure well and also win. like the Lakers I feel like have a few pitfalls or you know vulnerabilities they can make some coaching mistakes and I would say for one sure. of them would be sticking with the big lineup you know, playing JaVale, playing Dwight Howard too much, and then being slow to adjust that. Like, let's say Houston, you know, beats them in game one, and then Lakers don't adjust quick enough, and they beat them in game two, and then eventually the Lakers should get it together, but it might be too late. And then also, look, I mean, can Houston hunt Kyle Kuzma? Can they, you know, hunt I mean, JaVale McGee? Can they Can they find, like, vulnerability in that defense? Here's the thing, right? You have to play Kuzma. Like, he's he's got to play. Like, you're going to have to make – shots in this series and so 
if they play Rondo too much, like, right? That like was Caruso the third thing too I was gonna much. Think. Like, like if, it, there are if, there are real offensive liabilities here where like the Lakers can get everything they want and they can still lose a game because Houston can make twenty threes and they can make nine. Right. Like the Lakers. Like, is Frank Vogel going to adjust properly? Does he have the power to adjust properly and say like? And is is the adjustment you know because he's an older school coach? He's been around for a while. Is it if you're down in the series, like we got to play Rondo 30 minutes a night, we got to start Rondo, play off Rondo? Like, those are like some pitfalls that they could make on their way. Like, talent wise, they should win this series, they like, should like, win four yeah. two, let's say. But I was thinking six as well, but maybe seven. But I think I it's know, possible. Houston I is... really do think it's possible, especially if Houston gets off to a lead. Um, I don't see Houston coming back. Like, if, if the Lakers go up like one oh, two oh, then I think well, it's one oh. Well, I mean, one oh is whatever, it's right? over, like, one is whatever, but like. <laughs> This is really James Harden might not show up for game two. This is only game seven. You asked if he was going to come out of the locker room at halftime. Does he need to beat traffic? Well, you're such a James Harden fan. I figured out why. Because I tend to watch, you know, have a baby and, you know, commitments. And so I watch fourth quarters more closely than the other quarters. And, you know, I think that's, you know, the schedule doesn't work out because that's Harden's quarter that he takes off, you know? (laughs) What if I told, like, here's his stats on this series, right? If I had said this to you before the series, I bet you would have taken this. But, he averaged 36 and a half, eight and 1.6 steals on 46 and a half, 31, 85 from the foul line. Like if I told you he averaged those numbers, you probably think that he played pretty well, right? Yeah, no, I agree. I mean, it's weird because the stats look good. He the was play, he, I think looks bad personally. I mean, he, relatively. And, and here's the thing. Houston as a team, I think shot pretty poorly i mean i think they shot 36 percent from three in the series that's actually surprising they had this, a couple is, this is like sort of like a you know skip bayless kind of take so ignore it if you want but like <laughs> i love these takes I no but i'm just wondering like there were moments where harden you said he's just a great passer making the right reads to me there were moments where he was deferring too much um and like yeah. early in the shot clock it wasn't like he passed to a wide open guy he was like playing hot potato a little bit no you know what they do like they do this thing, and if you haven't watched Houston a ton, like I don't think people realize this, but it's almost like him and Russ take turns, right? And he That's gives true. he gives Russ like extra turns. It's almost here. Here, this is this is part of your take, I hope. But it's like the kids are like you're playing tag or whatever, and the fat kid is like tired. So instead of him taking his turn as like the guy being it, he's like he's like gasping for him. He's like, no, 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 you you take it. You know, it's kind of like that a little bit. Although I don't think Harden's like that. That is that's fair. That was probably me. Because they throw well, they throw Eric Gordon gets his own possessions too. Now it's weird. Like it, it, originally it was like okay, the first two games of the series it was like Harden had the ball all the time. They ran a ton of inverted pick and roll with Jeff Green, and then they went against they went gate away from that and like. Well, you know what, what I was going to say? Like, remember Kobe Bryant, rest in peace, um, had that one series, I forgot who it was against, Phoenix, when he like... Phoenix, he just didn't do anything in game seven. Like in right, the second like he half, he took like one shot. Point. Yeah. Um, and to me, that showed like some, you know, apathy or... What's the word? Antipathy? What's the word when you hate somebody? Um, for his Antip- teammates. Antipathy. Antipathy. Apathy is like you don't care. Apathy don't care. Yeah. Like... Yeah dislike for his teammates because it's like f you guys i'm gonna prove a point i'm not saying harden has that but does harden feel like this is my team these are my brothers i'm gonna go down fighting for them or did could you see him being like i told you so i, I don't like no. antonio as a coach he, he i don't doesn't like. have he doesn't have that level of like alpha in him like he's right, not so that you just type don't think guy. he cares no i do think he cares i just think that he doesn't 
I, I do think he deferred, and Mark Jackson actually pointed it Maybe out. Like, he's his personality. He's like that's that blank think, look on his face. I think he's he's this un- incredible basketball player, right? Like he's one of the five best players in the world. Like James Harden is amazing, but like they built this team around him, and like they made him a max guy, and like but he's not the same as like like he's not Damian Lillard, like he's not Steph Curry, like he's not. He's not Russell Westbrook. Like, he's not LeBron to the point where, like, like those guys, like, they, they, like, live for the moment. It's not that he doesn't, like, live for it, but it's, like, he he is much more okay with, like, a bad result, I think. And it's, like, it's just a weird – he's just a different kind of dude, I think. Right. Like, Like he's just there to play basketball. Like, Anthony Davis kind of has that where he's just, like, in and out. That's a good – that's, like, a pretty good comparison. And, like, we saw Harden get really excited. Like, he he made the block on Dorton. Like, he was fired up. Yeah, he was excited about that. I didn't think – honestly, like, we were joking about this, but, like, I I thought he was as engaged as I've seen him. Like, we've seen Game 7 before when he got, like, bumped on the head, remember, against San Antonio, and all of a sudden, like, it was weird. He just, like, wasn't involved. He was playing like he was, like, inebriated almost. Like, we've seen that from him before. And then we've seen it when he's tried to take the moment, like, both those Golden State games when he had, like, 30 shots in each game. But I thought he was as engaged with the flow of the game in the fourth quarter as I've ever seen him in a game seven. And, you know, Chris Paul is probably, you know, polarizing. I think most people dislike him. Playing style. But I do give him credit. Like he he is the squeaky wheel who is like if he yells at the refs to the challenge a play that yeah. they shouldn't have challenged, like they'll do it. If they he like yells it. at them to like do like a free throw violation, he'll they'll give him that call. The, ultimate, so the ultimate CP three play would have been if he had gotten the timeout. Right. I thought he was gonna get it for oh, that. Because reason. the rule the rule specifically is you get the timeout when the ref grants it, not if they see you do it in a replay. Like oh, that's gotcha. just you can't get a timeout, right? So it has to be when the ref sees it. And so <laughs> Had he gotten that call, it would have been like, oh, man, people love CP3. I just think he's a, he's just like a dick on the court, but he's so good, man. Like, it is, like you said, for him, you're 35. He's not even well, six feet you tall. Well, life, too. Like, Go ahead. Well, it shows you, like, the squeaky wheel thing's true. Like, in real life, too, if you're difficult, you tend to get your way just because people <laughs> just don't want to deal with you or people just naturally back down. I just – I don't know, man. It was a fun series. Like we, we thought that that was going to be the most fun series. And honestly, like once the door was back sure. in the lineup, it was a fun series. Like I, and, and give the guy credit. I'm sure Oklahoma city will pick up, we'll give him a qualifying well, offer. So they don't it was a good, much. good round one in general. And then also I was thinking, watching the games, like I don't miss the fans. Like the crowd noise works for me. Like the fake crowd noise, fake fans. I, I don't really notice a big difference. I have to like once in a while, remember that they're not playing live. Yeah, I actually agree with that, too. Like, I think they do a pretty good job. And I think, I guess my biggest question to you before, this will be, I guess, the last thing we talk about before we sign off. But, like, are you worried about Houston being just exhausted? Like, these well, based on played, Denver, I would. You know, yeah, Denver came out flat. It came out so flat. Like, I think this is probably a good opportunity Friday night to bet the Lakers just because, like, they've had a rest. And so maybe they come out a little flat as well because it's been a while since they've played, right? They played, what, last Sunday? Well, and like, also, you know, good, like, we said Clippers, it was good for the Clippers to get like punched in the mouth by Dallas and then like, you know, tense up and get ready to fight because they came out strong. Lakers should beat Portland, who we talked about is not a very good team. If the Lakers like, you know, they, I still haven't feel like they've figured it out yet, to be honest. And maybe they will against Houston. Like this will be a huge test for them. Like, can they go small? Can they adjust? And if they can, then I would put them back up with the Clippers. But right now, I feel like the Clippers have more versatility and the ability to to switch a little bit. There is sort of the thing where, like, 
and I would, if I'm a Lakers fan, like maybe I'm watching out for this or not, but like maybe they do just end up playing Anthony Davis at the five, like 75% of this series against Houston. And they finally realize like, yeah, we like Dwight. We like JaVale. Like they, they get some stuff done in like meaningful minutes, but like, if we just play Anthony Davis at the five, like I know, like if I'm Houston, I'm like terrified of that. But but you have to think that they're not going to do it a ton. They, they will do it some, obviously, but like that's kind of like the ultimate chess piece, right? For Frank Vogel was that at the very end of the day, if you do want to go small, like because they're every team that's big tries to do this, right? Like this is a big team just because LeBron is so huge to begin with, but like they just try to like pound little teams into submission and Houston doesn't care about that. Like they're totally fine. Like you want to get a million offensive rebounds. That's okay. You want to shoot a million twos and post ups. That's okay. Yeah. So and they shouldn't Lakers even be like, are going to do that. Right. It's just, do they, is it two, two all of a sudden? And then they just decide like, you know what? Like we're going to split 15 minutes for Dwight and JaVale and then just play Anthony Davis the rest of the time. Well, and it's funny that it would even take that much like convincing. <laughs> it's like, I know Anthony Davis doesn't want to be a center. He has the size of a modern center for sure. I actually looked at the measurements. He's, he's, he's taller and, and longer than Dwight Howard, for example. And he runs and he can shoot threes and he can block shots. I mean, like, if you were drawing up like a modern center, he would be the guy. It's like I, maybe time to realize that, I guess. I, I, and I'm, I, you know, and again, the other thing is too, when you haven't really played like that a ton, it's hard to, it's hard to like really plug and play the guys with them. Cause like if you play like Rondo, LeBron, Caruso, Danny Green and Anthony Davis, like who knows if that lineup's going to be any good, right? Like you don't know. So that's the other problem. That's the other thing that I think helps Houston is that Vogel might be hesitant to go to that because he's a little worried about like what the rest of the pieces look like. But here's the thing. You got LeBron James, you got Anthony Davis, like it can't be too bad, right? No matter what lineup you play, like it can't no, you're right. Like, and and it's like I was watching Portland. I was complaining about some of the rotations, but like they just don't have another choice. And maybe the Lakers are like, we we wish we had Boston's wings, but we don't. So we kind of have to play this way. Yeah. Do you think that we're looking at a situation where the Lakers? I mean, they don't really have any picks to get rid of, but like the Chris Paul to the Lakers thing seems like almost too good to be true. Like. It's $40 million. I don't know if they have the cash phase. I don't know what they trade, but like, it seems like Oklahoma City's probably going to, I don't think they can move on from Chris Paul, honestly, but like, that's the one place where like, if you put Chris Paul next year and he played very similar to this year, like they would definitely win the title, you know? Well, and then we, really you know, we talked about it, but like they almost signed Kawhi Leonard allegedly. I mean, that would have been just ridiculous. <laughs> I mean, especially because like, again, the, the what we're seeing from LeBron James and, at this point in time, like he's, it's funny. Like we joke about this or not really even joke. We talk like sometimes like, man, is Anthony Davis their best player? And then like, you just watch LeBron control a game. And it's like, no, he's not like Anthony Davis is amazing. He's super skilled. He can make every shot in the book. And it's like, but the way that LeBron, it's just the way that he like manages games and series. And that's why this series is going to be so interesting. Cause we really haven't watched him play against like a true, true small ball team. Right. Like we haven't seen that before. And like it's, just, it's such a shame in like the modern NBA, maybe it's smart, but like probably we'll see Clippers Lakers at some point. Um, I would say and that then the, that's say, the overwhelming favorite to be the Western conference finals. And then you just get so excited. LeBron versus Kawhi, who, who looks like the best player in the league right now. And then they're not going to guard each other. Cause they're like saving their energy or whatever, or saving their fouls. I'm like, if those two would just like lock horns and just guard each other for four Kawhi will guard him some. Kawhi will guard him some. Paul George will guard him more, more though. And then they'll do the thing where they put Marcus. This is my favorite thing. The Clippers do. And this is the last point. And then we're done. 
I love when the Clippers put Marcus Morris on the other team's best perimeter player because it's really only for like two reasons. Marcus Morris is an okay defender, right? But he's not as good as Paul George, not as good as Kawhi. So it's mainly to get them a rest. But it's also because like I think Doc Rivers knows that like Marcus Morris is going to do some like really weird stuff. Like he's going to try to be overly physical. Like he might foul you like Lucas. So like I'm really excited because nobody does that to LeBron, right? So if we do get Lakers Clippers again, I think... And then also his twin brothers on the Lakers. That's so bizarre. Again, you said this is going to be a body switch situation. Like maybe (laughs) maybe one game Markeith Morris goes nuts and then we get to have a headline. Like was it actually so bizarre? We'll talk more about this when they play each other maybe, but like (laughs) they've really diverged. Like Marcus Morris is still a good player and Markeith Morris is not. So it's like, it's weird to watch. I I don't know. I'm excited though. It's like Mason Plumlee, (laughs) Mason Plumlee and Miles Plumlee. Like people get confused. Like Miles got a big contract. And I think they, they don't thought look it was the same, Mason. though. They have different color hair. Like, but like if you look at that Miles Plumley contract, like there is no reason he got paid twelve got paid unless they thought it was million, like Mason right? Plumley. Indiana forty million for Miles Plumley. That's a good contract. Hey, that's why you fired Nate McMillan. All right, that's it for us. Only a few uh, teams left, right? Elite Eight is left. Eight, we're we're, yeah. we're right in there in the Eastern Conference playoffs. Friday night, Bucks Heat game three, Lakers Rockets game one going to be exciting uh zan i can think of nobody i'd rather talk about this stuff with than you so uh zandrick ellison at gmail.com you want to give us an email zan underscore ellison on twitter and reddit and uh zan as always thank you very much nice compliment at the end too it's been about eight what 112 episodes i got a compliment more than more than that all right see you guys thanks for listening to the underdog sports nba show with your host tyler laurie and zandrick ellison tune in next week for more nba storylines and news 